You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. I got to tell you about Pastor Elias before I before I welcome him, but so um, he, you know, I've known him maybe like 10 years now, gone on a number of mission trips with him, and he's been a real mentor and a real teacher to me, and um, and probably a, a number of things that we do here at Plank Grove Harvest are because of of observing how he operates his church and things like that. He's had a terrible shot here in the last year where his wife's passing away from cancer, and um, so in typical Elias, in it's the South American way. I don't want to besmirch all South Americans. It's just how it is. They're always late. It's called South American time. They have their own time. Like this is the actual time and then there's South American time. And so he was supposed to be here on Friday. So at 5.30 on Friday, I got in my coach and I drove to um, Nashville. I looked around for that joker all over the place, inside, outside, in the baggage claim, check, make sure he didn't make the flight. They had changed the flight. They changed the gate when he was in Miami. Oh, wait a minute. First, he was supposed to come on Thursday and he missed that flight. Then he missed the flight in Miami, the connecting flight. And so, uh, so at 9 o'clock that night in Nashville, I got a call from some guy. He borrowed his phone and like, hey, Dale, I'm in Miami. <laughs> and uh, he said, man, there's a line. It's like five kilometers long that I have to stand in to get another ticket. And so, um, so he was all sad because he had to sleep on the floor. But don't listen to that joker cry because I had to drive back to... Crossville, and then drive back uh, uh, Saturday morning. He called me at 2 in the morning on Saturday morning and said, Hey, Dale, I got a flight. It's going to be at 8 in the morning, so I'll be in you know, Cookville or Nashville at noon or whatever. I drove back down there. So I drive back down there, and uh, this, this guy starts calling me from Cookville. Hey, uh, you know, Pastor Dale, I uh, got your friend here. I found him, this little homeless guy. And uh, so this guy saw Elias in the airport in Miami, and he was from Cookville, Tennessee, and he's from Guatemala, so he habla, and so he <laughs> talks to, so he talks to Elias, he's like, what are you doing sitting here? He's like, your plane's over there, and it's already left. He's like, oh. and so the guy takes him, gets him in line, talks to the people, gets him the ticket, flies to Tennessee on the same flight, gets off. Stands in the thing there, calls me on his phone. Elias calls me maybe four times on this guy's phone. This guy calls me a couple times. Hey, where are you at? Where are you at? I'm like, listen, you made me wait, you know, three days now, you know. <laughs> Anyhow, so um, uh, so the guy was waiting underneath the carport with him there. And, and uh, again, I went into baggage claim, and them jokers can't sit still. They're wandering around outside. So I found him or whatever, got him in the car. And then the other guy's like, hey, man, if you're going to Cookville, can you take me down there? <laughs> so I ended up giving this other stranger guy a ride to Cookville. And, and uh, anyway, on the, in the car ride, you know, you've got to assume, though God works how he works, that uh, everyone you meet is, is saved or unsaved. So I asked the man, I said, well, are you a Christian man? He goes, well, no, I never really have thought about that much. And I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, I don't think it's any chance that, that God connected you guys in Miami, that you flew with old feller here that you got here i said none of that is by chance and i said um and you need to discover who god is i said and i told him about um some people that we knew that had thought they were going to live forever and died quite young and and uh, talked to him about different people and people that he may have known that had also died uh, surprisingly i said you don't have you don't know if you have tomorrow 
And I said, is that true? He said, well, that's true. I said, and it says we're appointed once to die and then the judgment. And I said, so we're all going to be judged for our, for our life here. And uh, what about a Gospel of John? You ever read that one? So I whipped out my Spanish version, Gospel of John, and gave it to a boy and kicked him out at the McDonald's in Cookville. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, uh, we, maybe we can pray for that man. His name is Carlos. And it's just interesting how God puts people together, how he protects his own. Um, I've seen it work with Elias a hundred times and um, how many times God has put one person or another and just like right at the right moment, you know, he intersects them and then steers them. I don't, I don't know how it works, but it works particularly well with Pastor Elias. Pastor Elias prayed for one of our church members this morning uh, for healing. He is um, a very good prayer in that. So Pastor Elias, tu estar aquí con nosotros es una gran bendición para nosotros. Y verdad. Okay. Bienvenidos, hermano. Um, so, for the rest of you, glad you're here too, and, um, and uh, glad, I'm glad to have him with you. If you need somebody to interpret for you, I can interpret for him. Um, Brother Alva can, Tracy can, and our friends um, Alex Montoya family probably can, and, and Gonzalo can. So you can go, take the time to go and talk to him. You can learn an awful lot from that fella, and he's a good man. Okay, what else? What else? Did we pray for Ronnie Reed this morning? Um, so we have another uh, fellow in the hospital. It's amazing how God is working. And, um, and I'm glad you're here this morning, Loretta. But I, I really believe that God is working in a particular way in this family. And, uh, and maybe this is a way to draw Ronnie closer to himself. Ronnie you know, has been literally on death's door. He had COVID and got pneumonia and then went to the hospital. He had a heart attack. And now in the hospital there, he seems to be, I mean, it looked like it was all she wrote. His kidneys were going down. They had to intubate him, and now he seems to be, he's turning the corner, correct? And, um, and, uh, do it? And, yeah, it's, it is, praise God. But I do want to pray for him. I want to pray for, for him and for our friend, Pastor Renee. Pastor Renee got a bad medical report, and he, he doesn't really want to let all the information out right now, but I do want to tell you, you need to be praying for Renee. And Renee asked that this, this problems, whatever it is, that it won't, uh, affect his being able to travel and, and do the different mission work they want, that he'll be able to maintain his health as long as possible until, uh, well, until the end. He wants to be able to work until the end. So um, if we can pray for these two men, and then we'll continue. Father, this morning we're grateful for, your, for this place, a place of your presence, Lord. I pray that you are in our midst, Lord. Without you here, we're, we're wasting our time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you be in this place, that you fill the people fully to the top, and that they don't maintain that for themselves, but they go out and they give it to those all around, Lord. Father, we pray this morning for Ronnie Reed, Lord. I know that, that he's a hard man, and he's got a hard spirit, Lord. I pray that through these things, these, these challenges, these, this close taste of death, Lord, that through this, his heart will be softened, and he'll see who it is, who's his maker. He'll come to a better understanding of who his maker is. He'll come to a better understanding of who his friends are, who his loved ones truly are. And Father, I, I pray for his healing, Lord. I pray for not only a healing of his body, but a healing of his spirit, Lord, that he professes Christ, he says he's a Christian, but his fruit does not bear witness in some cases. So Lord, we, we pray that his fruit would be abundant, that he'd be a changed man, his heart would be softened, and that he would be a man used by you, Lord, for your glory. And I pray for Pastor Renee and for the work that he does for Irene, for their family. Um, Lord, we pray, we pray for healing. We pray for your goodness and your mercy upon his life, Lord. I pray that he be healed. I pray that he be healthy until his dying day. I pray that he be able to use his 
different spiritual gifts as he ministers to others and ministers to other pastors. And, and I pray that you uh, give him particular care, Lord, one of your uh, humble servants. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been working on this division in the body and where division comes from. And last week we were looking at, at some of the different issues that can cause the division. It could be a, a misconception of what the, what the mission is itself, as in uh, Christ and Him crucified. It could be a misconception of the message, how do I proclaim that to other people. It could be a, an aspect of just immaturity. And we've figured out that spiritual immaturity makes for really poor construction materials. If you're going to try and develop a fellowship and have it grow and develop and be godly and promote the kingdom, well, then it's got to have some level of spiritual maturity in it. And we looked at the four kinds of men, those that were natural and willful, um, uh, carnally, uh, carnal as in a baby, willfully carnal as in just refusing to mature spiritually, and then those that are spiritually mature. How all of those are likely to be in a fellowship, but, but we're supposed to progress from being a baby through to spiritual maturity. We're not supposed to get to this point 30 years as a believer and never having moved beyond adolescence. We're supposed to have moved on into spiritual maturity. And so, um, but what we see is spiritual weakness, maintaining that babyhood for too long, it becomes willfulness. It becomes arrogance. It becomes pride. It becomes bitterness. It becomes heresy. It becomes apostasy because we like right where we're at. We have a lot of opinions about what the book says, but we've never read the book itself. We have a lot of opinions about who God is, but we don't truly know God. And so we bring those things, those outside things of the world, we bring them into the fellowship and it causes destruction in the fellowship. Refusal to respond to the pure milk of the word prevents reception of the meat of the word. You never get beyond drinking maypo or baby food or whatever they call it now. You never get beyond that. You're always at this, at this lowest level of, of this low-grade, low-protein milk, and you never get to, the, to the, the steak. And we saw that with Christ, he said, zeal for my Father's house has eaten me up. If there's no zeal in your spirit for the things of God, then you need to check. Well, they say check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need to check and see if you're of the faith. Examine yourself and ensure that you truly are saved. And I, I hate to say things like that because I don't want people always, I know that can be a problem with people is this fear of, you know, if I lost my salvation, am I really saved? I don't want you to be apprehensive in your salvation, but I want you to know that you know that you know that you're saved. It's important. And parents, it's one of those things you have to walk with your children because children could be unsure but the faith of a child is a lot more pure than the faith of an adult. The faith of an adult has a lot more criticism in it, where the faith of a child is a lot purer and um, you know, maybe born more of emotion and trust, where the faith of an adult is more in a critical nature of observing and maybe this will work and maybe it won't. Pastor Elias, in praying for this girl this morning, he said, you know, it's one thing for me to pray for your healing, but if you don't have confidence in the one who heals, if you don't have confidence in yourself, that you can be healed, well then we're both just wasting our time here. And he pointed out the woman that had the issue of blood. I mean, she proved her zeal, she proved her confidence, her trust in the Lord, and that she pursued him, and just if I could touch the hem of his garment, it was actually the hem of his little shawl there, that little thing with the ropes hanging off. If you can just touch that, I'll be healed. So she had the faith beforehand. She knew he had the power to heal, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. So having that faith, having that that if you want to call it naivete, that little, that's that simple trust that what the Lord says he'll do, he'll do, is the beginning of faith. 
but you cannot stay there. You, that will not satisfy, that will not hold you unless you get saved and then croak within a few minutes. It's not going to hold you through the walk of life of the different ups and downs of life and so on. So, so Paul had to be careful because those believers were so spiritually weak, but he was pointing out to them, this is where I want to go this morning, is about these differing people with differing gifts, differing personalities, different abilities, and all are needed in the fellowship, each one according to his gifts, the Bible says, all operating with the mind of Christ, and all actively growing towards spiritual maturity. That's the point. All working past this babyhood, not maintaining their existence in Christ in this babyhood, but working towards spiritual maturity. And we say, well, it's, uh, it's not works that save. No, it's not. But the Bible also says faith without works is dead. So it's a dead faith if it's not an active faith. If it's not a working towards spiritual maturity, then there's no... And then it's a weak faith, and it'll easily get shot in the leg. And one thing that's happened, what we've seen in Peru, tragically, is, um, you know, if we'll be praying for Elias and this, is, is in that fellowship, it was a large fellowship. We've been there and seen two, three hundred people. We've seen standing room only packed all around a lot of older people. But in that, some of that faith was weak faith because as they've been persecuted by the government, not allowed to meet with one another, actually been thrown in jail if they tried to meet and so on, they're so fearful to meet that a vast majority of that church has left the church. He's down to maybe 50, 80 people on a really good Sunday. And so he's, been, he's really been trying to develop, we're going to see this, this discipleship. He's been doing this for a long time. Uh, grupos familiares, these home groups where people are coming together in, in their homes and then bringing, you know, bringing the message from church, bringing it into outer groups, preaching the same message that was preached in the church, and then including neighbors and then bringing them back into the church. Well, it's failed. It's failing because the people had a really weak faith before it was a, a little bit more dramatic and they had these other people around them. But is your faith going to hang in there with you when it's just you? The problem is they completely separated the people from one another. They weren't allowed to meet with one another. They weren't allowed to see one another. They weren't allowed to be with one another. And it broke them. It's like a prison sentence. The kids there for about a year and a half were not allowed their out of their house. If they were caught on the streets, the parents were taken and either disciplined or put in jail. And one day out of about uh, going on a year there, they let the kids outside for 30 minutes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Whitney Smith? You got a big house. Now put them in the kitchen, not in the whole kitchen, just in the part where the sink and stuff, a lot of the houses are that small. Imagine five amigos in there with you just running rampant for months and months and months. And you can have 30 minutes outside one time and the government's like, see how good we are to you? Man, I'm telling you, young people, you hear these fools at school talk about communism or socialism or Marxism. You need to rise up and speak out. It's a lie. It's demonic and it's evil. It's corrupt, it's destructive, and it's destroyed whole countries in South America and Central America. And uh, working on Canada, and it's coming here. It's a very popular view. It's terrible. That aside, it's of the devil, I'm convinced. That aside, their faith was broken because they weren't allowed to meet with one another. Do not forsake the assemblings of yourselves. Don't forsake it. Because you see what happens when it's forsaken. It's the divide and conquer thing. We take this guy off to himself and we get him to break. You know, everybody talks big when they're in a group, you know, they go rob a bank, you know, but then they get one of them guys. All they got to get is one and he'll spill the beans on everybody, right? That's just how it works. So we're growing in grace from baby to maturity. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where I know you're, maybe you're tired of it, but too bad. That's where we're at. 
We can go to chapter 4 next week. We'll, we'll zip right along into 4. But uh, maybe the key verse there is, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So like I said, we looked at those things that caused division. We've been looking at those things. We've been looking at that for a while. And uh, the primary things, I, I, I think I can bring it down to a couple of things. The, the first thing is, is taking our eyes off the singular focus of Christ and Him crucified. That's thing one. The spiritual immaturity thing comes and is uh, exemplified when we begin to look at one another, when we take our eyes off of Christ and Him crucified, when we're no longer doing the spiritual work individually of studying, praying, meeting with others, you know, telling others the four things. Uh, when we quit doing those things and our focus turns back around, we're just worried about us and how I feel and how I whatever, you know, I feel hot, I feel cold, I feel hungry, I feel weak, I feel whatever, I don't want to be there, I, don't, I shouldn't be there, how come people don't understand me, I'm so whatever, I'm special. You're not special. You're one of the body, you're a, a cell in the body of Christ. You're a fingernail, you're a toenail, or you're a whatever, toe jam. You're some aspect of the body of Christ, and we need you, and you need us. And the proof is in any of these countries where they've destroyed the church by sending people home and making them do it by themselves. We need one another. So that spiritual immaturity, it comes, um, it comes and it rises up and it, it's exemplified as it misunderstands the individual call to ministry. Each person's going to have a different spiritual gift. They're going to do things different. We're going to have different personalities. We've been looking at that in 2 Corinthians in the night. But um, the weakness of the churches are exposed when their focus is on anything or anyone but Christ Jesus. And if the body as a whole re remains largely immature, eventually it's going to fail. Churches in the U.S. are shrinking because older, I'm not dogging old people, but I'm telling you that older members over a long period of time have gotten happy with weaker and weaker and weaker doctrines. They've been very satisfied with that. Many services have turned from, from a lot of doctrinal teaching into a lot of music. Music has its place. It's a good thing. We're, we're working on our music. we got people practicing music, trying to do music better. That's good. It has a place. We're going to see that. It has a good place. It has a, a key part in the fellowship of believers. It's not the only part. It's the wrong vision when your whole church becomes, you know, um, I was listening to, uh, I don't know, he's probably Renee, but he's, he can be crouchy sometimes, he's kind of funny. So he was, like these people came to him and he goes, he goes, well, pastor, we want to have a, just a whole service that's just nothing but music. He goes, well, that's great, you should go do that, but not at my church. <laughs> I mean, we come here to hear the word of God. We come here to hear the preaching the preaching of the word that reorients our thinking onto the scriptures, that reorient our scriptures onto the focus of the cross and the cross onto Christ. That's what we come here for. We, don't, we come here, yes, there's joy in the scene, there's encouragement in the scene and all those things, but that's not what we're here for. We're here for Christ and him crucified. That's what we're here for. We're here for the fellowship of believers and the work that's accomplished in that. Um, so it's a... So what I saw here was, um, uh, well, so to finish that thought, the weakness of the church is exposed when the focus changes from Christ to anything else. Maybe it changes to a really, I mean, large churches have been broken by losing their main singing guy. Large churches have been broken from, um, uh, uh, Adrian Rogers' church went from 9,000 people to 3,000 people when he died. What was the focus of the church? It wasn't Christ and him crucified. It was Adrian Rogers. He's a great preacher. 
I strongly recommend listening to Adrian Rogers. But the focus was wrong. It was on the guy and not on the, the, the man, Christ Jesus, that the guy represented. And, it, and the, the church is recovering now, but it's still only around four or 5,000 from what I understand. It's a big church in Memphis there. But, but uh, the point is, babies aren't winning big battles. Trained warriors win the battles, not, not babies, not children. And the, the evil one has had eons of practice, eons of years of practice to thwart even mature believers, even Elijah, even Elisha, when they had their worries. Yeah, Job, even these, even these prophets from the past and these patriarchs, these solid people, Abraham, like, you're like, how is this guy, f I mean, God's performing miracles on this man. He's having a baby, his wife's dang near 100 years old. How is he failing in that? He's failing because the devil has all kind of skills and he's got to practice them on men for ever how many thousand years. It was kind of interesting if you, I had to do this thing years ago when I was still in service, but so I did this, I was, I was teaching a class, right? And I had to talk about what the odds are getting shot, okay? So privates and private first classers are lowest ranks, okay? They get shot way more than people like corporals and sergeants and so on, okay? So as you go up the ranks, the odds of getting shot are less. Not for a couple of reasons. One is there's less sergeants than there is privates. There's, say, 30 privates or lance corporals and then one corporal, you know, two corporals and one sergeant. So there's less of them. But that wasn't the reason. The reason is is because the privates are unaware of their surroundings. They're unaware of what they're standing by. They're unaware of what they're not standing behind, you know? In the, in the battles... The sergeants make, you, you only get to be a sergeant if you make it through the battles when you are a private and a lance corporal and a corporal, right? You got to be pretty wily. You got to, you got to have your wits about you. And the problem with the churches is there's not a lot of sergeants. There's a lot of privates. They never, they don't have their wits about them. They're not mature enough yet. I was reading this, this deal. Um, oh, what's his name? Watchman Lee. And he was, he was in prison in the fifties for being a Christian in China. And he got to writing. He's, he writes a whole bunch of stuff. He writes a bunch on the spirit and, and all kinds of things. He's a good writer. Interesting. But uh, he recognized while he was in prison, because he saw, he, he saw the churches growing, but then he saw this pressure from communist China that, that started there in the 40s, 30s and 40s, where they really started crushing the people and crushing Christianity. And he's like, man, i got to do a better job of discipling people and not just living my own spiritual walk and not just growing spiritually myself. i got to do a better job of discipling people because what if the Lord doesn't return before I die? What if this isn't it? What if, he, what if I die and then he returns? i got to pass this on. It was the right viewpoint. He had to be, go to prison to figure that out. But uh, it's a very Pauline way of thinking. That's how Paul thinks right here. And that's why he starts right there in verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. Let's read that. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's fields, you are God's building. Paul way advanced spiritually than these people, but he sees them as spiritually as equal, as saved people. According to the grace of God, which, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, 
but he himself will be saved, yet so is through the fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So Paul sees these people. He doesn't look down on these people. He understands that they're very immature per people. When we, when we read God's word, we need to see ourselves as the lowliest of, I mean, we, we were never with Christ personally in the flesh right? We never touched him like Thomas or, or John or whatever, right? And so we're having to understand who God is, who Christ is through his word, through meditation, through prayer, through teaching, whatever. But we, we don't have the access that some of these people had. Paul had this three years in the desert with Christ, right? Just him and Christ, him teaching Paul. You're like, okay, I, I haven't had that. So what do I have to do? So I have to consider myself of the lowliest of these believers. We're, we're really bad to look at the Bible and we see the Israelites or we see these jokers in, in 1 Corinthians like, what a bunch of losers. I can't believe they fell for it. We fall for the same stuff. We would. If we didn't have people watching us like a hawk calling us to account in our own conscience and our own and the Holy Spirit working on us, we'd fall for the same stuff. So you need to see yourself as the lowest of these and recognize that as the lowest of these, Jesus, the apostles, and Paul see you as a fellow worker, as an able, capable uh, peer, though you are considerably lower, myself included, considerably lower on the spiritual knowledge test, you're a peer and you have a functional purpose in the body of Christ to develop the kingdom to build on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. But each one of you has that in you. I was thinking about that and Paul sees these people, I see you people, as the structure. We were in, we were in Peru, Tracy and I, years ago, and uh, we were looking at the church, and we're like, How, the church was having some problems, you know, and we we're looking at, I don't think I've told some of you this before, so it was a concrete building, and it's uh, multiple floors, and it had these big pillars, and, and the guys that went and built the one church with us, you remember we had to put that wire and everything, we had to fill the pillars first with the concrete, and we did it with buckets and filled these pillars, right? And so the floors, all the floors, all the structural elements of those buildings over there are supported by these pillars and these, these beams that go across, right? And that's what supports the church. And so we kind of made an analogy, I don't know, but between the three of us, me, her, and uh, Marlene came up with this analogy of the, the older people were the pillars. You know, the foundation was Christ. The older parts of the church were the pillars. Then the younger people were built on top of that, you know, and, and it, it seemed to appeal to them. They seemed to understand that. But it's the, same, it's the same thing. The problem is when the older people are weak, then your pillars are weak. Then your structure is weak, and then it fails. And that's exactly the picture here. Um, Paul saw those people as the structure and that they needed to be developed into a more durable structure. Remember, in, um, you may remember this. You will when I tell you. Re Exodus uh, $100 to the person that can quote Exodus 38.3 right here. 28.3. Um, it says, uh, Exodus 28.3, it says, So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, 
whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. Did anybody know that one? No? Okay. And it says, <laughs> you got that one? <laughs> Zach was like, I was just fixing to say it. You know? And it says, uh, Exodus 30, verse 25, it says, the holy anointing oil, this was, I told you guys this a while back, but it sounds like, man, I want some of this holy anointing oil, but it says not to make it or touch it unless you're of the priesthood, which I am not of this group of people here, but the holy anointing oil according to the art of the perfumer. So the first was these gifted artisans whom God had filled with the spirit of wisdom. The second was the artisans that were to make the holy anointed oil, the perfumers. Exodus 31.2, see, I've called this man by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of worksmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, sounds very similar, gold, silver, precious stone, uh, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. 31 verse 6, I've appointed him with him Aholiab, the, Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. The Holy Spirit was placed in individual people's hearts in order to perform a specific task that God had designed for them to develop a structure that the Jews could recognize the Father in. Okay? God has a work for men to do. And it's an after-salvation kind of work. The, the preparatory work has already been done. Christ was crucified the cross was there. We put our trust in Christ. That work is done. Now, from there, there's a work for every believer to accomplish. It is a work, though. Paul's as surprised as anyone that God's using him. If you remember there in 1 Timothy, where he talks about himself as a persecutor and a blasphemer and an insolent man, that how in the world is God using him? And he says, but I did these, I did these things in the past out of ignorance. But God is using him now as a prophet, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a missionary, as an exhorter, as an evangelist. The Lord God had assigned him in no less way than he assigned, no, no less way had he assigned Paul, than he assigned these guys back in the Old Testament days to build the temple, to build the tabernacle in the first temple. Uh, he gave a specific purpose to each specific person to accomplish a specific task. And this is kind of in this scripture right here that I read you and hear about Paul. It's going to something there in chapters 12, 11, 12, and 13 where it starts to talk about spiritual gifts. Paul tells them, I've laid the foundation. He already told them that. I already laid the foundation. And another builds on it. Who's building on it? Maybe Apollos, maybe Peter. Okay, so they're starting to develop the columns that's going to make this church last for the long term. Man, I'd be so jealous. I'm back in Moses' day, and here's Bezaliel, or whatever his name is, and he's God's given him all these gifts to work in all these crafty skills, right? He's this super craftsman. And then there's Dale standing beside him of the tribe of Dumcuff or whatever, whatever the tribe is, and he's like, ah, you know what, you just, you just carry the bricks, lad. You know, I got a, I got a job for you too. That, that's the thing, though is that in every fellowship, there's a need for somebody to carry the bricks. You know, there's no, there's no honor in one position in the fellowship over another. All are necessary for the development of the structure to be built on the proper foundation. The Lord's assigned different people, different gifts, whatever the gift is, hop on it. Um... It was kind of amazing. He gave this gift 
the spiritual gift, we don't see it as a spiritual gift, but it was because it was given, it says, as a spirit, and that spirit is capitalized, of wisdom. So it was a given gift from God to be an artisan. And later in, uh, with David, there are some that were gifted, and actually with Joshua, I believe, where it was gifted to musicians. It was a gift, the gift of ability in music. It's not you, Jed. It's not you, Emily. It's not you, Aubrey. It's a gift from God given to you to do it for his glory. And whatever you do, if you're a craftsman, if you're capable in finances, if you're capable in construction, if you're capable in housekeeping, if it's capable in childhood, it's a gift given to you for his glory to reorient those that you perform your gift in front of, to reorient them to the Father. The fact that, it's just going to keep coming back to that guy, it was such a crazy, you know, I mean, I don't know how God puts people together. Elias attracts them. But how that guy, you know, you meet the one guy from Cookville in Miami? Have you been to Miami Airport? That place is a train wreck. It's awful. You meet the one guy from Cookville with the Cookville phone number? That's why I wouldn't answer the phone. I'm getting these calls. I don't know this guy from Cookville. What the heck? Because the other people that were calling me were like, you know, the one guy had a Hispanic name, and it was from, it said Venezuela underneath. That was the first guy who got to call me from Venezuela. You just talked to whoever. God puts these people in your path to intersect you, and you can either attach yourself to that moment and recognize that it's God's working through you in this person, bringing it together, and then just give them the word. Or whatever you're supposed to do. Give them the ride, give them the word. If I don't give the guy a ride, you know, we don't get to give him the word. Anyway, it does show me that guy had been in the United States, he said, like 20 years. And I'm like, in 20 years, nobody's presented the gospel to you? Think about that. He was here. So, these gifts of spiritual craftsmanship, they're assigned gifts from God to particular people at particular times. And he still does this today. Many believers in Christ are extremely gifted people spiritually. And tragically, and it's by God's grace that we receive these spirits, different people, different gifts. I don't, I mean, it would be nice to have the whole list of gifts, but you'd be like an octopus out there healing people and whatever, raising from the dead and then speaking in tongues over here and then preaching over here and whatever. You'd be busy. God, God doesn't do that. It doesn't seem in general. However, many people have spiritual gifts, but they, for they either use the gift for their own edification. Tongues is a really um, easy one to pick on. And a lot of people that are really big about speaking in tongues, it's all about them and the demonstration of the tongues and how, how wonderful and magnificent they are and how much more saved they are than you because you don't speak in tongues and so on. So you've got to be very careful. But it's either they're using it uh, for themselves or their own happiness or they neglect to ever use it whatsoever, ever. It never comes out of the box. You may be the world's greatest evangelist, but if you never tell another person the gospel of the hope that's within you, guess what? You're no evangelist. If you have the gift, but you don't use a gift, if I got a new rifle and there's deer running around the yard and I got ammo, but I never put the ammo in the gun and aim it at the deer, I, I might as well not have a rifle. I got a tomato steak. I just need to take it outside and, you know, whatever, wire a tomato plant to it. It's useless. Use the gift. Use the gift that's within you. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 
He's not telling uh, Timothy to do anything wild. He's saying, I gave you this gift, Timothy. I prayed over you. You know you're a teacher. You know you're a pastor. You know you're a missionary, and I know it. If you know it, and I know it, and God knows it, use the gift. Break it out. Spray some WD-40 on if it's got some corrosion, and get to getting. Be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And another thing that hinders people with their gifts, this is, this is a big one, I, I know it is, is you're concerned about what other, particularly Christians, are going to think about you as you use your gift. But the Bible says that it's, for, it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. Each man will be judged according to his works. Each person judged individually according to his work. What are his works? It's the works of the spiritual gift that was given to him. Did you use the talent or did you bury the talent? If you use the talent, then there'll be some sort of blessing in the end. If you don't, there'll be some sort of chastisement. doesn't make you less saved. It makes you more chastised. Use the gift. A good father gives good gifts. Paul was encouraging these people in this fellowship here, and I know we talked about this just not six months ago about the gold, silver, precious stones and the wood, hay, and stubble. Like you could go outside, any one of us, and get rocks and get uh, grass and get hay. We could go into Zach's barn and steal some hay. And we could go build something out of it. But what you're building is a really weak and, um, and flammable thing. But what he's saying is build it with these durable things, these things that endure. And those things are hard to get. You're not running outside and picking up a lump of gold. It's not how it works. You've got to go mine it. You've got to go find it. You've got to go pay for it. You've got to go work for it. So you've got to quit worrying about what other people are thinking about you and the development of your gifts. And you need to leave your house each day prayed up and ready to use your spiritual gift. Don't wait till the moment and then the thing happens and the person is sick or there's some need or whatever, like, oh, Lord, am I to be generous with this person today? Be generous. It's your gift. It's a gift of giving. Lord, am I supposed to pray for this person with this, uh, you know, they got this bad cancer. I don't know. If, I don't know. If I don't even have the gift of healing. Uh, pray. It doesn't, what does it cost you? Well, what if he doesn't get healed? What if he doesn't? But what if he does? Where's the faith? Apply the gifts. Speak the word. In season and out of season. Remember in Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? If, he's, if you say you're of him, but you deny the power of his word, you're worse than an unbeliever. Apply the gift. Whatever the gift is that you have, a good father gives good gifts, the Bible says. And so a good son ought to put his good father's gifts to work. A good daughter should put the gifts to work. John 17, it was real interesting that Jesus said this. He said, I finished the work that thou hast given unto me. Jesus had an assignment when he came to the earth to accomplish a certain number of things. This was prayed, by the way, before he went to the cross. I finished the work that thou gavest unto me to do, to accomplish. I did it already. It's been done. It's all been done. And now I'm going to go do the last thing. And then you're going to do the next thing and raise me from the dead. I already did the work. You've got a plan of work that's laid out ahead of you. Go do the work. Go accomplish the work. There was three types of builder here that I thought was really interesting. It says, um, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, another builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds it. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And it talks about the, the way they're tested and so on. So we have the wise builder, 
which would mean there would be an unwise builder, and then we have the foolish builder. The wise builder, he builds according to the blueprints with the very best materials available. I guess there's a reason why Advantech is $80 a sheet now, and the next highest graded uh, material that's supposed to be similar is $50 a sheet. I mean, there's got to be a difference in quality, right? There's got to be some difference for it to be $30 difference. What do you think, Zach? Is there a difference? Yeah. Uh, they say the Advantech, you can submerge it in, in water for like 24 hours. It's not supposed to swell, completely submerged. I'd say the other stuff would. There's a big difference in the material. The wise builder uses the very best material. The only way you're going to use the best, the only way you can read the blueprint, you got to know how to read it, you know? We had to take that in architecture class back in the day, how to read a blueprint. Otherwise, it just looks like a bunch of squiggly lines with circles and squares and stuff. you got to know how to read it. This is the book. you got to get the book. you got to read the plan. The wise builder begins with the book, and then he applies the book to his life. The unwise builder, he just uses whatever, the wood, hay, and stubble thing. doesn't make him unsaved because we see the identification of that. It says, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet it's through the fire. And it said that word, I was reading on that word picture right there, it's like the house is on fire and you're running out the front door. If the house is on fire and it's made of metal, it's going to stand. If the house is on fire, it's made of block, it's going to stand. If the house is on fire and it's made of straw, it's going to burn. And you're going to be lucky to escape with your life. And the last is the foolish, which is just the man who's not saved at all. Whatever he's building, he's building for himself. At least in the unwise, he's attempting to build for the kingdom. But for the foolish, he just builds for himself. So, so only one of these three builds with something that endures, the wise. And the other two... Uh, one, one man's life is saved, the other's is lost. But it says, verse 16, or let me back up. Verse 13 says, every work, man's work will be tested. Each structure, each developed body will be tested by God. Why? Because that's what he does. I can't say why. Elias and I were talking about those that have passed and, and the prayers that were given for his wife and, and the, the prayers that we've given for others that we care about. Why did they pass? Because. Because that's what God does. It's a hard answer to give because other people came to him and said terrible things to him. The reason your wife is sick is because you have sin in your life. You know, she's super righteous, but you're, you're just, you're full of sin, you're fake, you're whatever. They're just brutal to him. Um, it's not the case. Men live, men die. People, women live, women die. They, people pass away. It's what we do. Because this isn't it. This is not it. Eternity is it. So we pass from this place. In this place, what have you built? Because what you're building now is being tested. Every man's going to have to give an account as to why he built as he built. Each person standing and ultimately giving an account of how did I use God's grace gifts that were given to me? How did I use How did I apply them? Did I apply them for myself? Did I develop my own thing? Did I develop my own whatever, cult of personality, I developed my own business with no thought for the poor or the, or, the, or the destitute or the widow or the orphan. I just do my own thing because that's what I wanted to do. Were the, were the construction materials used in a manner that built a solid, enduring structure on the foundation, which is Christ, or were shortcuts taken in order to try to reach some set of uh, spiritual maturity so you got this really good pat answers? I, I'm telling you, and I've told you before, Pastor Roland, years ago when his brother passed, I saw his preaching change, and, and Pastor Elias and speaking to him. But death had never touched Roland. He, he had done funerals for people, 
for other people. And, you know, this is how you're supposed to think in this moment. And this is how you're supposed to recover in this moment, you know. But it never touched him. But when it touched him, he had a whole different view of what it meant for death to touch him personally. And then when his mother passed and when his father passed, it changed the way he viewed death. It changed the way, it changed his empathy for people as he dealt with other people. As death touched someone so close to him, gave him a different view. Does God use death in the life of a Christian, the living Christian, the one who stays, does he not use that to test the person to see what they're made of? I would say he does. It's a terrible test because we want to be with that person. But at the same time, there has to be some peace in the heart of the believer that recognizes that at the point of death here, that person, if they're saved, is with the Father in heaven. That's a message for another day maybe, but every work's going to be tested. You can't, and I started to say that about the short, you can't take a shortcut to the spiritual growth thing. Reading, I, I know you think I'm beating you up on the devotional thing. Read good devotions. Be careful on the devotions you read. A lot of them very weak, very limited doctrinally. Read good devotions. But don't base your faith on a devotion. Base your faith on the scriptures. Go to the scriptures. Read the devotion. That's good. Be encouraged. Listen to the Christian music. That's good. Be encouraged. Listen to good preaching. Be encouraged. Read the word for yourself and be more encouraged. So here's the conclusion. The first temple, the first tabernacle, it says that all the items in it were given by God through the spirit of wisdom to men to develop. Solomon's temple says the same thing, that a man was given wisdom from God, or actually it was Solomon that was given the wisdom from God, and so Solomon had the blueprint. In the first case, Basil had, uh, had the blueprint. In the second one, Solomon had the blueprint. It doesn't say that about the third temple. Um, when Solomon Temple was sacked, they replaced the gold and silver with bronze. So you took something worth $2,000 an ounce and you replaced it worth something worth 85 cents an ounce. It was shiny. It looked like gold, but it wasn't gold. It was bronze. Um, the third temple was built by craftsmen, but they weren't imbued with the spirit of wisdom from God. And so the question is, it says right there, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What temple are you? Which one are you? Are you the one filled with the gold, silver, and precious stones? Are you the one filled with wood, hay, and stubble, or are you the foolish temple? If it says, if anyone defies the, defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And it says, which temple you are? He's saying, I'm telling you, even though you're very immature, you are God's temple. Now, for the structural pieces inside there, start decorating with gold, silver, and precious stones and no longer with the wood, hay, and stubble. The, the, like I said, the building made of wood, it, it can't take fire. Um, is the temple that you're developing in yourself, is it something that you're going to be proud of to display before the God of the universe on that day? Is, you know, I mean, every person needs to measure that in himself. What, what am I building? What am I building in my spirit, in my life? It's like the old chimney story, you know, the fire brick. When you burn a, a chimney when you have a, and you have fire brick, it just gets harder and harder. But the old school lob cabins around here, a lot of them, what they do is they put stone on the bottom, and then they had this thing called stick and daub. It was basically mud and sticks. And then they would kind of weave them together, and that's what they'd make their chimney with, just for lack of, you know, especially out west, where they had a lot less stone. And um, if you don't replace that chimney like every year, 
you got you a dandy fire. It burns the whole house. Only the chimney made of the most durable of the fire brick is going to last. It's going to get harder and more durable. So what chimney are you? We're always worried about efficient use of space and light. What, right? That's what all those little things are on the lady decoration pages that I don't look at, trust me. <laughs> well, you get good ideas on there, on Etsy. But uh, I've never looked on Etsy. I'm just joking about that. But uh, man, strongly take me out back and beat me if you figure it out. But uh, amen. amen. Uh, is your temple worth looking at? And what is developing it? Is it developed in your own? That was the problem here in Corinth is the, the buildings were developed in their own strength. The temple that was made by the craftsmanship of men, the third temple, it said that the, the fathers that saw the previous temple, Solomon's temple, wept when they saw the foundation of, the last, of that last temple. It was crummy. We want the temple made by the hands of God and not by the hands of men. It says in, in 3 verse 23, it says, You are Christ and Christ is God. It wraps up there. It says, um, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. How are they mine? How are all things of creation and, and of God's will and of, of the grace of God, of the spiritual gifts of God, how are they mine? Whether Paul or Paul's or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are in Christ, you are Christ, and Christ is God's. This is how they're yours. All things, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become the adopted son and joint heir with Christ, entitled to everything that Christ has. So everything that God has, he gave to Christ. All authority under heaven has been given unto you. Gave it to Christ, Christ gives it to you. And in turn, it's yours. With that, make the temple out of the very best that's been given to you and develop it. And then we, in that day, we'll turn it right back over to Christ. He's the operational force behind your ministry, individual ministry, each one called to be a minister of the gospel, and your spiritual gifts. He's the force behind it. He's the power. He's the influence. He's the, the driver. Accept that. Put it on yourself. Use your gifts for the growth of the body of Christ. We're going to go, we're going to begin and have communion here. And, uh, and um, different, different deacons on different weeks have the assignment to set that up and, and develop that for us, to have it prepared for us so we can kind of get that, that early New Testament look like an Acts where they're going to serve us that. And, um, and we appreciate that, whoever deacon turn that was. Um, I appreciate that. But we're going to work on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to look at that next. But let's have, a, let's have just a moment before we go to that. And let's, let's think about whose temple you are. You think about it. I'll think about me. You think about you. Don't think about me. You think about you. You've got your own temple problems. You've got your own structural instabilities. You work on those. I'll work on me. Rededicate yourself for the purpose of godliness. That in Hezekiah where they opened the doors and they swept out the temple and they cleaned the furniture. Do that. Do that in your spirit right now before we take communion, okay? Let's take a moment, pray, just pray silently right there where you're at, and then we'll, we'll begin with the service for communion.
Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be here together today, to worship together, to hear your word together, Lord. I pray that the word that was spoken was the word that you had for us today, to hear from your word and from your, your spirit. Grateful, Lord, for these that have come, Lord. I pray that the word will not return void, that it will light upon them and they will go away glad like the Ethiopian eunuch and they will tell others about the hope that's within them. Father, I pray for the individual personalities, the bodies that are in this fellowship today, Lord, that as they hear the word, and it sinks down into their conscience, convicts their spirits, and works on them. They go home and think about these things and like the Bereans test and see if the things that are spoken are true. Lord, I ask for your mercy on this fellowship, Lord, as we have different people with different personalities, different likes and dislikes. Lord, that they could become one in the mind of Christ and, uh, and love one another. This new commandment I give unto thee, love one another. Father, have mercy on this, on this group of fallen people, Lord. We're grateful for your care for us, for this fellowship, Lord, for this building, for the heat. Lord, we're thankful for the weather outside, for its beauty. We're thankful for your care, your constant care for us, Lord. We're grateful for the different healings that you have provided in our midst, Lord, for the different miracles and workings of grace that you've provided in our fellowship, Lord. Grateful for the safe travels of Elias, the, the different contacts that were made just even in that trip, Lord. Lord, we pray for those that are outside the fold this morning, those that are lost. Lord, we ask for your mercy on them, that you give them one more day, Lord, to repent. Lord, we pray for our country, for our leadership of our country, Lord, for those that make decisions regarding the, the things that affect us individually, Lord. I pray that those in leadership over us, Lord, for our, for our president, for our vice president, that they would accept Christ while there's still time. They wouldn't just give it lip service, but in their spirit, they would be changed, that in their actions they would produce much good fruit, and that in their testimony they would tell others about the hope that you have given to them, Lord. Father, so grateful again for all that you've done for us this day, Lord. If there be one today, Lord, that does not know your name, is not solid in knowledge and faith and truth, knowing that on that day of their last breath that they'll be present with you, Lord, I pray that today be the day of their salvation. Thank you, Lord, now for this, this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Musician people.